Welcome back to the sound plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods. If you like what we provide, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. Questions and compliments can be sent to our email. Of all the podcasts and all the internet and all the world, you had to tune into mine. Though listening to these productions is free for you, providing them isn't free for me. If you care to help, please buy me a coffee for a dollar via the website listed with the descriptions of each episode. All proceeds go to the theater and our production material needs. If you don't, you'll regret it. Well, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of this series... Except those wishing to remain anonymous, benefactors will be announced in the final credits. And thank you, truly, for listening. Ready to lift the game! Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 6. This is Book 2 of A Bridge of Doom by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Traversity, Demons and Demigods. The Journeys of an Enchanter. The Black River slowed, and Gawan felt himself reaching consciousness. Yet, while his thoughts pulsed with the reality and vision of Flaina, he could also compare this with the imminent waking state. He realized a disturbing difference between them. Hopetown was real and full of sensations, while Paul's world had a quickened pulse, as if it was a thing woven in a mind feverish with opiates or poison. The familiar feelings and sensations masked by a sheath of diluted numbness. Or is this reality and Flaina part of a dream? (sighs) A new anxiety began to fester deep in his mind, spawned by the stress of being stretched between two worlds. The enchanter wondered if he would ever find home again. Who's the kangaroo on the floor? You got enough pockets? Hey, didn't I see you in the main quad? Art, what's wrong? Is Paul all right? You got me, Bill. I just got here. His room's open and there's a strange character napping on his floor. Oh, shit. That's Gaywan. What happened to him? Gaywan? What kind of a name is Gaywan? Shut up and close the door. The enchanter felt hands touching and probing his neck and head. Panicking, he discovered he could not move or waken further, as if there was a magical freeze over his body. This is a friend of Paul's. You know, that one he used to talk about, from some small kingdom overseas. I think he heard Paul was ill and came to visit him, or or something like that. Hmm. Explains why his suit isn't exactly in style, I suppose. He does one hell of a realistic tiger roar. I'll say that for him. Uh, what are you talking about? I'll explain later. Hands pressed against Gaywan's chest. His breathing seems normal, but he's really locked up. Kind of like rigor mortis. I've got a cloth coming. And look at that bruise on his jaw. 
I guess you lost that fight, fella. Ambush, actually. And the fight has just begun. He tried to wiggle some part of his body, but it was as if all signals from his brain were being cut off. Hey, I think his eyes are moving. Well, that's something, at least. He might be having trouble coming, too. Give me the rag. Moisture was dribbled over his eyes. Gaewan noted his skin felt different from what he knew, like there was an extra layer that did not allow as much tactile sensation. Well? I don't know. Perhaps he needs some more encouragement. Immediately, Gaewan felt stabbing pinches and rough hands gripping his shoulders and shaking him violently. Come on, Gaewan. Their efforts proved futile. He's out cold, Bill. Reminds me of that third shift housekeeper they found like this in the med center recently. Borderline comatose. Are you suggesting he's a janitor? No, stupid. They were having trouble sobering him up. It took some mega doses of vitamin B shots to bring him around. And the weird thing is he said he didn't drink, especially on the job. His blood alcohol level proved that. How do you know all this? I've been doing observation in the ER for a psychology class. Well, I believe I am out of intravenous vitamins, Art, if that's what you're suggesting. No, I was just thinking, like usual. At least four tracks at once, you know. Food, fantasy, girls, and food. And I don't think a pizza will bring him around either. Nor a story, nor a blonde. You're funny. Besides, girls don't like me that much. I'll call for the paramedics. Wait a second, Bill. Let me try something. It can't hurt. But I'd better check his pockets to see if there's an empty bottle of Thunderwine or something before I make a fool out of myself. Gaywan raged silently at this suggestion, wanting no intrusion. Hands opened his jacket and began methodically patting his pockets. To his relief, an answer echoed and there was a sudden weight on four points pressing into his stomach. The hands retreated abruptly. What the hell kind of a cat is that? Glink bared his claws as he reared and swiped at Art with a paw. Whoa! This fella means business. When it became clear Gaewan's pockets would be left alone, Glink settled his jangled nerves and retreated behind his master's head. Well, now what? You were about to try something? I presume more of your reflex points. Homeopathy or psychic wizardry. Like I said, it can't hurt. Let me try it before we call for med help. Uh, be my, or his, guest. Beginning to tire of the continual banter that was also undermining his own attempts at waking his body, Gaewan now felt five fingertips touch his face lightly. One tickled his third eye, while the other four touched at random along his temples. A faint humming became discernible somewhere inside his head, accompanied with abrupt bright flashes of light. Plana! The mysterious lock on his body broke, his muscles spasming and jerking him up into a sitting position. Gaewan found himself wide awake and looking into the bright blue eyes of the fellow that had seen him in the central square in front of the cathedral tower. Easy, fella. You took a nasty blow there. The silver medallion dangling from the new fellow's neck had an uncanny resemblance, if only in shape, to the talisman of Rothson. Ouch! Gaewan jumped when the cold cloth was pressed against his jaw. Do not press so hard. Pardon my clumsiness. The cold will help your bruise. My name is Arthur. Art for short. Grasping Art's hand with his own, Gaewan shook tentatively, receiving a firm grip and shake in return. Thank you for bringing me out. I am Gaewan. Yeah, I heard. Pleased to meet you. A friend of Paul's? I don't mean to be rude, but what kind of a name is Gaewan? Hmm. Only if you can tell me the ancestry of Arthur Art for short. Huh? It's my name, I suppose. Therein lies the answer to your question about me. I think I like this guy, Bill. Bill wrung out another cloth in the sink. Tell him that, not me. Oh, sorry for the third-person treatment. My parents did tell me all the time. Art self-consciously scratched the dark curls that covered his scalp. 
I have seen nothing amiss in your introduction. What happened between you and Paul? Did you two fight about something? Who threw his desktop out in the hall? That's one way to get new furniture. We had a misunderstanding initially, but if you are asking if Paul hit me, he did not. He didn't think it wise to answer about the damage. Paul's food was poisoned. As he sought to stand up, Art's hand clasped his upper arm and lifted. <clears throat> Poison? Is this for real? It is truth, if that is what you ask. The enchanter gathered Glink into his arms and petted him. Hmm. So where's Paul? I know not of his whereabouts. I presume neither of you saw the prof leave? Prof? Which one? How many of these men are there? He has dark hair and a beard like a goat's around his mouth. Huh? Gaywan is from another country, remember, Art. We may have problems interchanging colloquialisms. It sounds like he's describing a goatee, a Van Dyke beard. Who's this? Uh, a pathology. They looked at him strangely, waiting for him to finish. Prof? He felt both foolish and childish for not comprehending their words. Oh, a pathology professor? Yes. Now what would he be doing in the grad dorms? What does this prof have to do with you? He's the one who attacked me. They stared at him, stunned. Bill was obviously doubtful, yet uncomfortable with the idea of interrogating Gaywan further. Are you sure? The enchanter pointed to his bruise as mute testimony. <clears throat> Pay no attention to him. He's cynical about everything these days. Why did this man attack you? Feeling that he could trust Art to at least hear him out, Gaywan calmly related events as he thought best, carefully excluding facts dealing with his wardmate or his use of enchant. He had considered Bill's easy doubt and did not relish the idea of explaining the mystical secrets of using power to him. Kicked it open and attacked me. His tale ended. How did you find out about this poison? I smelled it. And Paul didn't? I am more sensitive to impurities than most people. Better not drink our polluted water, then. More goop than just two H's and O. The enchanter considered Art's warning that their water was not the same as what he knew on Fayag. Don't confuse the poor man, Art. He's doing well to understand us this much. Tacitly agreeing with Bill, Gaywan smiled. Okay, then. What do we do now? Paul's gone, and it sounds like it might have been against his wishes. You're saying a faculty member has kidnapped a student? Where's your proof? For that matter, where's Marie? She'd know something. All right, all right. There's no cryptic note constructed from magazine print, and I'm making melodramatic assumptions. I admit it. Art shrugged, then squarely faced Bill. But this friend of Paul's has been hurt by someone, and Paul is not here to account for it. Logic dictates against a faculty member wandering into a second-floor dorm and punching out the first person he sees without a motive. But a, but a faculty member wouldn't. And who made the professors gods in your eye, Bill? Or have you forgotten they're human, too? Dr. Russell smoking joints with his students? Mr. Mills hiding in the closet because he didn't want to teach one day? And don't start me on that sex that goes on behind closed office doors. Some for fun, some for grades. Just because we live on a university campus doesn't mean we're one step away from your mother's lap. What about those weird murders at Florida State? Are you suggesting a professor did those murders? No, no, you're missing the point. Look at it this way. If you went home to visit your father and found him gone while a friend of his was left injured and unconscious on the front porch, wouldn't you assume something was seriously wrong? Good point. So, getting back to Gaywan's story, there's really nothing so unusual about having a professor with a violent streak. <clears throat> really, Bill, I think you take this almighty perfect teacher administration government crap too seriously sometimes. Granted, there seems to be a problem. Paul is the missing piece. We need him to tell us what's been going on. What do you propose we do about it? This is a pretty big campus. Hmm. Finding him won't be easy, that's for sure. 
Maybe he went to the medicine. He was sick. Not anymore. The two young men turned to see Gaewan sitting on the edge of the bed, staring intently into a fist-sized, faceted crystal he held before his eyes. Once I determined what caused his illness, I gave him a purgative. That explains the acid smell around the bathroom down the hall. That's a nice crystal you got there, Gaewan. I take it you're into healing with crystals where you come from? Gaewan was quietly amazed that someone here not only knew something about crystals, but also something that he had not learned. Healing? I haven't learned that skill. Scrying is the only thing I know how to do very well. Scrying? Archaic term. You'll find it only in old dictionaries, like Webster's second edition. It meant to see things with crystal balls. How did you happen to know that? I read a lot of classical fantasy novels. In my opinion, you're in danger of getting lost in fantasy. Yeah, yeah. At least I'm drug-free and still a virgin. Fantasy may be habit-forming, but it's clean and safe. Gaywan, are you saying you can find Paul with your crystal? Not exactly. <laughs> Only in fantasy art. I will be able to see him, yes, but I am unfamiliar with this land, therefore I will not be able to recognize his surroundings. He wasn't sure if it would work at all, his head still buzzing slightly from overextending his earlier scrying of Marie. Art stared in disbelief for a moment, taken aback by the gravity of Gaewan's assuredness. <laughs> I don't believe this. He met his eyes solemnly, determining what he saw there. Yes, you do. He had decided Bill was too grounded in tangible, explainable things to accept enchant, though such traits were not weakness in his mind. But Art was on the fence, teetering between unbelief and acceptance. He could experience the unseen, but not understand it. Will you assist me? Art was startled by the Enchanter's depthless lucidity. Well, I'd like to, uh, help, if you think I can. I've never done anything like this. Not true. What about that telekinesis stuff you showed me? When did you start believing that? You said it was a breeze or something, as I recall. I just don't like admitting when I'm foiled, that's all. There's no contrary evidence to what you demonstrated. I'll accept the fact that you move those papers with your mind. Great. Now he tells me. You are a psychic? Well, I guess. I don't write horoscopes or shit like that. I've noodled in TK and stuff, but I can't uh, affect anything heavier than paper. But that's not what you want, is it? What do you want me to do? Stare into the crystal until I see something weird? If you ask me, this whole discussion is weird. Then you should feel right at home, Bill. Please! I don't think we have time for this. Either assist me or leave me to my task. Arms crossed, Bill shrugged again as he and Art exchanged a glance, then leaned on the wall. Sure, Gaywan. We may not understand what you're doing, but what do you want? Your belief and understanding are not necessary. The quiet confidence in Gaywan's voice seemed to settle something in Art's mind. He probed the Enchanter's eyes with an ember of trust in his own, making Gawan wonder at the possibility of Enchanters existing in this world, unaware of their abilities. Tell me what to do. Good. Gawan stood beside the young man. All you need do is look into the crystal. Don't stare. Rather, watch with the attention you might give an insect that clings to a blade of grass. It may not move for a long time, but when it does, you will see it. Staring is like trying to grab the insect. It just hops away. Well, while you two stare at grasshoppers, I'll hop out and call the campus police. Bill, will you just stop and think? I have. Bill's brown eyes gazed coolly back through his black frames. There has been an assault on a guest by a faculty member. Someone has allegedly been poisoning Paul. Paul is presumed missing. Logically, we should inform the authorities. <sighs> Goddamn Jack Webb worshipper. All right, Mr. Spock. Here's how you should really think this out. First, 
what you've said is true. Second, it'll take at least an hour or more for someone in blue to get up here and question us while making a report. An hour? Remember last year? I saw a girl trying to jump out a 10th story dorm window. Stupid bitch was high on crack. I called security and then ran up to stop her. 20 minutes later, I'm still hanging on to her and had to yell for someone to call again to see where the hell they'd gotten to. Oh, yeah. You and your superior authority crap. Your authorities know far less than we do right now. And after a long hour of questioning us, the cop will tie up his visit with an inevitable question. Do you know where they can be found? Which will be answered with, No, we don't, asshole. That's why we called you in the first place. And they'll say, We'll notify you if we find anything. Bill let his hand drop from the doorknob. I hadn't considered all that. Besides, Paul isn't really missing yet. In a day or so, they might consider him missing. Disgruntled with the conflict and lack of action, yet knowing he needed them, Gaywan feigned patience. <sighs> this won't take long. Just a few moments. There. We can certainly afford a few minutes and not disturb a cop's coffee and donut. Let's do it, Gaywan. Sure. What the hell? Even I take a moment to read my horoscope on the comics page. Finally. Art and Bill, if you like, please just watch the heart of the stone and wait. Do not expect to see anything. Just let it happen. That'll be easy. Ignoring the subtle banter, Gaywan concentrated on the stone, invoking the enchant for visually sharing what images he saw, then searched for Paul. The reflections brightened with a hum of inner activity in his mind, then a stark white room came into focus. Paul's form appeared, apparently groggy, as he was carried by the dark seer and Marie. Wow! The image dissipated. It really works. Did you recognize their surroundings? I've seen that guy before, I think. One of my pre-med buddies is under him. He's a new pathology faculty member from Sweden or England, I think. And that was Paul they were carrying. That was fast. Did you recognize where they were? Not really, though I would guess. Logically, they would be in the professor's lab in the Pizzo building. Yeah! Gaywan met the redhead's eyes with respect. Thank you for your help. Bill lifted a shoulder in deference. This is more interesting than talking with our campus cops. Why didn't you say so in the first place? I like a good argument sometimes. Oh, boy. Meanwhile, Gaywan returned his crystal to its pouch and made for the door, inadvertently stepping on a thrown portion of food on the floor and slipping. He glowered at nothing in particular and cursed his clumsiness. Careful there, Gaywan. Paul's room is a notorious minefield when it comes to walking safely. Marie usually keeps the place neat except for lately. He offered a hand up. Uh, indeed, there be many such fields on this world. As he released the young man's hands, there was a sudden tingle up his arms and a familiar shudder down his spine. Power. Undisciplined, but the channel was there. With a knowing sparkle in his eye, he rested a palm on Art's left shoulder. Acolyte. Chapter 6 The plaster walls and white light spun in a frenzied dance with a polished gray floor as Paul felt himself being half-carried, half-walked down a corridor he recognized as part of the older buildings in the medical school. When he tried to turn his head to see who it was that held him tightly by the armpits, a terrible pain stabbed through his brain as if a pole was being rammed into his skull, subsiding only when he relented and allowed himself to be dragged anonymously. He puzzled over how he had gotten to this point, his memory fuzzy. He had been sick, but recently that had been changed. Gaywood! It all came back to him, right up to the moment when the goateed man stepped into his room and punched out the enchanter. 
when Paul tried to protest, the man, whom he recognized as one of Marie's professors, frowned furiously at him, his eyes like bottomless pits. That was the last thing he could recall before pressure engulfed his mind and his dorm room swam in blackness. <coughs> Fatigued and feeling strangely heavy, he resigned his curiosity to staring blankly ahead and waiting to see what happened next. As he breathed, the air stuck in his dry throat, <coughs> and he got an aftertaste of bile. Soon he was in a large laboratory with more white walls lined with black-topped tables, some barren, some loaded down with research equipment, microscopes, a particle counter that hummed quietly, slide boxes, books, stacks of paper on a lavishly appointed desk, a desktop computer, and some chemical distilling equipment. The only incongruous thing in the room was the worst, a large pentagram sketched out in red on the floor. Recalling his discussions with Gaywan about witches and devil worship, Paul wondered at the reality of being so close to that which had been little more than distant stories all his life. Clumsily, but not brutally, he was lifted by the shoulders and legs, then laid on one of the bare lab tabletops, cool, polished wood pressed against his back, and he allowed the fatigue to overtake him. Damn, it's too soon for this. Dr. Brent ground his teeth in suppressed fury as he mulled over the situation, one that had gotten unexpectedly out of hand. He gazed sullenly across the table at the young woman who watched him with such devotion. She was a gift from the drow warlock, Sakandra, a companion to assist in his efforts at securing Paul for an unmentioned purpose. Sex with her had been unbelievable, though the frequency of it had been draining on his energy, both mental and physical. Disturbing was his inability to read or dominate her mind. The first time he tried, she laughed at him, and he decided to refrain from the more frequent intimate contact she openly craved, at least for the present. But it was difficult as she seemed to have an insatiable appetite for sex. Thus, he had to resort to silly teasing games just to keep her at bay. Besides, any woman who wants so much physically will sooner or later demand something else. He had to admit, however, that she had made acquiring Paul much simpler than it would have been otherwise. While Brent had gained access to Paul's medical records and made a few adjustments, adding information describing a history of bouts with gastritis resulting from stress and tension as a stage actor, he had been quietly poisoning the lad with arsenic, an idea so simple and quaint that modern medicine rarely thought to look for it in a blood test. The plan had been working wonderfully, with Paul getting sicker and sicker. Brinth had even made sure to wander through the lab when the emergency room was testing Paul's blood and urine, making sure possible signs of poisoning were not traced and documented. There would have been no question as to his whereabouts when Paul disappeared. After missing so many classes, it would be presumed he had withdrawn, officially or unofficially, and gone home. If not for this stranger who interfered, damn him. Who was he? No matter. The meddling idiot would be found unconscious on Paul's floor. What they do with him after that, I don't care. He is out of the way. By the time the psychic concussion wears off, Paul will be gone, and perhaps the stranger will be blamed. On the one hand, Dr. Brent found summoning Sakandra before the arranged time bothersome, but on the other hand, this would conclude that entity's little game and hopefully get rid of this clinging woman so Brent could get on with his own plans. Lowering eyes again to the giddy Paul and sensing the young man's confused thoughts, Maximilian wondered not for the first time... 
What exactly is Sakandra going to do with Paul anyway? This made things difficult for Brinth to plan his contingencies once Paul was taken, or tortured, or, more probably, killed. He had no doubts he would be saddled with a corpse once this Sakandra had finished sexy servant or no. For the moment, however, because he had been forced to take Paul prematurely, he had the strain of exerting mind control continually to keep him from trying to escape. It was far easier to dominate a relaxed individual than someone who was panicked. Usually his prey was caught unawares and was numbed into a stupor by the psychic shock of domination. Ignoring his growing distrust of the woman across from him, Dr. Brent turned to the task of alleviating Paul's fears. At the same moment, Paul worried over his situation. As he considered the frightening prospect of the pentagram, visions of fabled battles between good and evil, light and darkness, God and the devil, flickered in his imagination. Sensationalism surrounding the feared satanic rites and various related horror stories in newspaper articles came to mind. The cold claws of fear gripped his heart. After what had happened to Gaewan, there was no way he could expect any immediate help. Help? The professor's kind face loomed above him, surrounded by a halo of fluorescent light as he flashed bright teeth from inside the frame of his goatee. That is why we have brought you here. To help you. He felt comforted by the easy, practiced tone and gentle feel of the doctor's voice. But something flickering in the darkness of those eyes betrayed the false smile of reassurance. Remembering the pentagram... Paul wanted to sink into the table, and he turned his head to avoid seeing the face above him. Just take it easy, Paul. He patted Paul's shoulder. I know it's been stressful trying to ride out this latest bout of gastritis. We've brought you here to give you some relief. Why don't you just close your eyes and sleep for a bit while we make preparations? The calmness that surrounded his mind drew at him seductively. Paul felt his eyelids getting heavy until some shred of his consciousness shouted, and in the next instant he sat up. What preparations? Are you crazy? What the hell am I doing in here? Who the hell gave you the right to... to bring me here? His body suddenly felt like lead and he was assisted by gentle hands back down to the table. Please, Paul, just try to relax. You mustn't aggravate your blood pressure, or your headache will get worse. There was a sharp sting of extreme pain in Paul's head as he spoke, yet he had never felt a headache like this. We'll take very good care of you. But... but... Paul squinted from the band of discomfort that seemed to push against the inside of his skull. He looked over to see Marie holding him down. Her presence was reassuring, and, like a child, he gazed at her hopefully. Marie? What is he... Please don't let him do anything. I'm feeling better now. Paul, Dr. Branth knows what is best for you. Yes, the doctor knows best. He fell under the spell of those deep eyes until memory of Gaewan's accusation shattered the illusion. Why did you poison me? Seeing the suspicious glint in his eyes, she removed her hands and turned away with an uncharacteristic grimace of disgust. Get it over with, Maximilian. He knows. Fallen out of love for this sweetheart? Won't you grant him a parting kiss? Just do what you have to do and keep him under control until Sokandra gets here. Brent narrowed his eyes at her back, I knew it, and left the table to stalk after her. What is it you really want? No more games. I'm hungry, Max. Paul lifted his head and carefully surveyed the room, spying two doors not far away. Hungry? For what? 
Maximilian raised an eyebrow. This is an odd thing to say. I meant that I'm getting impatient with all this. She fluttered hands in Paul's direction. Having to pretend? It tires me out. Then pouted, bringing up crystal blue eyes to look directly at Brynth. And I want you. My sexy witch. He faced Marie and rested arms on her shoulders. I'm only doing Sakandra's wishes. And once done, we will be free to do as we choose. But Sakandra isn't here. And what about this, this man who saw us, who nearly attacked me? I have taken care of him. He won't come out of that stupor until long after we're done and the authorities have started investigating. Perhaps I have been overly parsimonious with the intimacy she needs. He took her head in his hands tenderly. I haven't meant to be so distant from you, my darling. The hopeful light in her eyes confirmed his guess. Once Sakandra has done with this boy, we can spend some quality time together. As he leaned forward to kiss her, she touched fingers to his lips to stop him, her eyes sliding toward the now empty table. Paul disappeared behind a door. He had hoped it was a way out, both windowed doors from the lab looking exactly alike. But to his utter disappointment, it was a dead end, an adjacent room. Damn! It was dark inside, but he didn't dare switch on a light. His mind whirring with ideas for defending himself, he quickly felt his way around, finding countertops and bumping into several beakers and boxes. Perhaps he could fight his way out. Knowing there was no way out of that room, Brynth thought of the saying about cornered animals and stole his way quietly across the floor. He tapped open the door and stuck his head through the crack, his beard bristling with irritation. Though dark, movement was easily detected within the room. He could hear Paul huddling behind a counter. He reached out with his mind to take control. Last. Ah, damn you. He wiped the side of his face where it was stinging, his hand coming away smeared with blood and smelling of alcohol. Cornered animal, eh? Spying a chair nearby, mm. he grabbed it and used it to push the door open while shielding his entrance, as if taming a lion. The container struck the raised chair bottom. Paul... Brent reached out with psychic tendrils. The fear and determination he sensed in his target would make taking control more difficult, but it could be done. Let's not be playing games. Marie doesn't like them, does she? He felt for the switch on the wall behind him. It's time to come out. As the fluorescence flickered to life, the doctor spied Paul crouched around the corner of a cabinet, two large flasks in his hands one emptying into another. Paul viciously flung the empty flask, Brent barely lifting the chair in time. You poor fellow. The fever has affected your mind. Now, come along. The controlled attitude of the doctor nearly convinced Paul that he was being foolish by hiding and throwing glass. Yet the sense of danger signaled by his adrenaline kept his mind alert. Marie was a traitor, and this man was trying to hurt him. Discerning Paul's thoughts, Brent decided his best strategy would be to play on his wrung-out feelings. Marie still cares for you, Paul. That's why she called me to come and help you get well. To hell with this slime. Paul stood up slowly and deliberately, making Brent believe he had won him over. Ah, very good, Paul. I'm so glad you're coming to your senses. Up your ass, Limey. Paul brandished the flask with its unknown mixture of liquids. I'm no kid you can abuse for your damn devil worship. No sacrificial dummy here. One more step and you'll be wearing acid instead of skin. What'd you do to Gaywon? He realized his mistake as Brynth paused, eyebrows bunching in thought. Gaywon? Why does that name sound familiar? 
At the same time, he took a quick mental inventory of this chemical supply room, deciding the chances were quite favorable for acid being in Paul's flask. Back off! Paul cursed himself for forgetting the Enchanter's warning about keeping his presence secret. I don't know what you want with me, but I'm through with this game. The game has already been played, Paul, of which you were the pawn. There is nothing you can do to change the outcome. Brent noted it would take all his psychic strength to overcome Paul. Marie, give me link-up for enhancement. A sudden lance of sharp pain in his skull made Paul nearly drop the flask out of reflex. Ugh. He pressed his free hand to his head in a futile attempt at warding off the invisible attack. He hadn't been prepared for this. The pressure grew until his eyes blurred involuntarily in the wake of the psychic migraine. Stop it! Put down the acid and I will. All right, all right, you win. Stop it! Put it down first. It was all Paul could do to resist the command. Gravity tugged his arms down as frustration mounted with his body's defiance of his brain's commands. In a last surge of desperation, he hurled the flask at the doctor, yet his aim was marred by the exertion of fighting the weight on his limbs. The flask smashed harmlessly on the wall, foul liquid seething and bubbling into the paint. His defiance crushed, Paul slumped to his knees, suddenly very tired and mentally exhausted, as if he had been swimming in mud. Brynth and Marie were upon him instantly, four hands descending and lifting him by the armpits. Don't. Don't hurt me. He was guided like a puppet into the main lab and laid back on the cold table. Much as he wanted to observe the goings-on around him, his eyes would not move, locked ahead by an alien dominance over his mind. Brent's cold professional countenance wandered across his field of vision. His will is too strong for us to hold effectively for very long. Brent gingerly dabbed a moist handful of gauze at the blood on his face. Get the key from my lab coat and fetch the sedative from the bottom drawer of my desk. Sedative? Will that hurt him? With a mocking smile, he glanced down at the helpless young man gazing blankly at the ceiling. <laughs> Not really. I don't usually use the stuff, but in this case, it'll just make him manageable until Secondra arrives. Good. I'm getting bored with all this playing. Paul figured he must have faded out for a few moments because Marie was already holding a small vial across to Brynth, who had finished cleaning his wounds and was holding up a hypodermic syringe. Seeing the glinting needle, Paul decided that such a tool looked very evil and was being used by evil people. Marie? Evil? How can this be? Their love had been so complete, so real, and now she was a subservient assistant to this stranger. How could she be so different? Why haven't I seen this happening? Maybe I did. Overwhelmed by the hopelessness, the unreality of his situation, he wished he had the strength to cry. <laughs> Dr. Brent dispassionately eased the needle into the cork of the vial, then pushed in and pulled back on the plunger. At least tell me why. You'll find out soon enough. For now, you will sleep. Marie, see who that is. If it's one of the residents, tell them I'll be out shortly. Yes, Maximilian. She disappeared into the outer office where muffled voices were soon heard. Paul hoped it was something that would pose a delay for the doctor, yet this seemed very remote as his arm was swabbed with an alcohol-soaked cotton ball. Hmm. Brent peered into the syringe again, then tapped it with a finger as he half-smiled at his unwilling victim. Uh, mustn't let you collect air bubbles in your veins, must we? Professor, there are two students here to see you. One says he has an appointment. Tell them I'm... an appointment? Brent stared at the wall in mild befuddlement. Must be the new graduate students. Scowled his irritation, then rested the hypodermic on the table. Can't have you visible to others just sleeping here. 
He looked down at Paul as if he was a lab specimen. I'm coming. You be good, lad, and stay put this time, hmm? I can explain a student laying here awake, wanting a professional opinion, but not otherwise. Much as Paul wanted to leap up and yell, he was forced to comply with the request. Having succeeded the first time, if only briefly, he again tried to consider escape, but the simple effort of thinking was too great, fatigue and gravity pulling like chains on his will. The more he tried, the worse it got. Thoughts shifted like cold molasses. Nothing covered, nothing reached, nothing resolved. A disturbing madness arising at the isolation. It was almost a relief when the brief eternity of bleak solitude ended with the doctor's return. Ah, this should keep you comfortable for a while. He sent a small squirt of the chemical into the air, then lowered the syringe to Paul's arm while Marie watched. Paul wondered at the irony of the scene as he felt the sting of the needle piercing his skin. Having been a patient in surgery once when he was young, thus familiar with the drug, he awaited the cold pressure in his veins that would knock him out swiftly. <laughs> Suddenly, the doctor was shoved back. There was an abrupt tug, and the needle was yanked out of his arm. What? Paul could see the shiny plastic hypo flash through the air over and away from him. An unpleasant-looking device... And not the sort of thing one should play with. So sharp. The instrument was dropped to the floor, followed by the distinct high pitch of plastic crunching underfoot. That will end this nonsense. Gaywan! Dr. Brent's expression darkened to a glower of hated memory as he looked first at his would-be victim, then at Marie. One of the names Sacandra had spoken. Gaywan! That foul mage is here! Alive? Impossible! At your challenge, the very Gaywan. Inwardly, he was disturbed this man should know of him. Uh. Brent reached over and slapped Marie hard. Uh. Bloody wench! You are the only other one to open that door! Gods preserve us! We should never abuse the fairer ones. A latex glove levitated from a nearby table and quickly struck the doctor. My challenge, sir. Your dispute is with me, not the woman. <sighs> Eyes burning with new fury, Brent watched the glove fall limp to the floor. <clears throat> All at once, Gaywan flashed into view for an instant as his fist met Brent's jaw. <clears throat> the doctor spun <clears throat> from the force of the attack. Returning that whence you gave me. Blast! By the devil, I will destroy you! Ignoring Paul and Marie, Brent staggered back from where he stood, wrenching his coat from his shoulders and heading for the pentagram. Marie kept her place in shock from Brent's abuse, a hand to her face in utter astonishment. To his frustration, Paul found he was still held in place on the table by the stubborn grip on his mind. His struggle against it was no less effective than if chains held him down. How you overcame my psychic attack or even how you got on this world, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. You won't be alive much longer. Brent continued shuffling backwards while waving his arms about, hoping to ward off the invisible gay one. Marie imitated his actions and worked her way towards his desk. The doctor reached the center of his pentagram and quickly considered options. Any other time, Paul would have laughed at the sight of the pair looking like drunken birds. Brent glared darkly around the room and considered his next move. It's too early in the evening to call for Sacandra. Such action would only work at the specific times of psychic energy flow, those being 12 o'clock midnight and 3.15 in the morning. There were other such times around the clock, but Sacandra had been adamant about being called only during times of darkness. Brent could probably escape the lab office, but that would mean surrendering Paul and facing Sacandra's wrath, an idea he didn't relish at all. It was obvious Gaywan was a mage. Therefore, magic would be the best defense, a power his covens had been practicing for years. And being leader of his own smaller group, 
made him privy to its power. Thus, he could be a formidable warlock, though he had rarely experienced the opportunity of wielding the full potential of the Coven. Fool. Cursing himself for taking so long to see the obvious, Brynth began to speak the secret names of his circle and the ancient forbidden names of the most powerful demons. The familiar tingle of the black magic warmed his limbs, and he started to shape the energy carefully, forming a shield around himself. But his efforts were cut short as several spheres of white light darted out of the air and into his face. All at once the air was forced from his lungs as extreme pain knotted every muscle in his body. Marie and Paul saw his head surrounded with an electrical glow. Clutching his throat in agony, Dr. Brent dropped to the floor, unconscious. Gaewan faded into view, standing three paces in front of where the doctor had begun summoning his forces. I never liked demon worshippers. He quietly suppressed a shudder of chills. That pentagram radiated a most disturbing aura. At the same time, Paul felt the tremendous physical and mental pressure release abruptly, and before he could control it, the restrained tension of his body sprang loose. Like a coiled spring, he leaped off the table with a yell, tumbled for a few feet, then gathered himself. Ah. Are you all right? Paul stood slowly, his muscles aching. When he turned to face Gaewan, his eyes widened in horror. There was the enchanter smiling at him, completely unaware of Marie, far to his left, aiming a snub-nosed 38 caliber pistol at him. The unreality of the scene left him unable to do anything. Gaewan comprehended the spoken warning and spun about to meet the threat. Marie moved away from an open briefcase, her hand confidently gripping a small mass of dark metal with a short hollow tube aimed at him. I hadn't forgotten about you, my dear. With another unusual weapon, to it seem. With a hand, Gaewan brushed his belt buckle and shimmered out of view again. Marie pointed the pistol at Paul. If I can take him, I'll put holes in you. So Kondra only wants you dead anyway. Stunned at the sight of Marie wanting to murder him, Paul could not move. He stared at her while his emotions raged with confusion. She cocked back the hammer, an alien glare in her eyes. Gaewan shimmered back into view between Paul and Marie, ignorant of the danger as a dagger flashed in his hand. Wanting to put holes in my friend? This will not do. What's next, mage? Why don't you disappear like the coward you are? Just matching that by which you have attacked, young creature. Outwardly visible, but truly unseen. Paul shook off the jolt and grabbed his enchanter friend to yank him down out of the line of fire, but as his fingers took hold, he heard Marie's voice in his mind. Hold him, my darling. So irresistible was the request that Paul could only comply and held Gaewan in place while his thoughts screamed otherwise. Paul! Then let us see your puny knife match the power of this weapon! Suddenly there was a deep stinging pain in the enchanter's gut. He stopped struggling with Paul long enough to see the glint of mocking laughter in Marie's eyes, then looked with shock at the large stain growing on his shirt. Die, meddlesome mage! <laughs> a chair flew through the lab door's Day opaque one. window. Hands reached in, unlocked the door, and Art and Bill jumped in, eyes wide, heads turning this Good way and God. that. Grab her, fellows! Gawan still tried to shake himself from Paul's grip. The wound in his side burned like an arrow, yet there was no shaft protruding from his flesh. A distant part of his mind wondered if this was how it felt to his past opponents when he had wielded his dagger's mystical power. Seeing the gun in Marie's hand, Art and Bill approached cautiously, spreading out. Marie glanced at them both, uncertain, and suddenly she was gone. Both men froze, staring with disbelief at the space where she had stood. The weakness spread so quickly from his wound, Gaewan would have fallen to his knees had Paul not been holding him. Art, get Paul off of me! I'll take care of her! 
Baffled but compliant, the two pried Paul's fingers from Gaewan's shoulders and pulled him back. At the same instant, the enchanter felt his wardmate's panic as he received an image of the mudcat yowling with terror and clawing at the base of Paul's dormitory room door, wanting to get out and come to his master's aid. Despite his pain, Gaewan shifted thoughts to Glink and reassured him that, though he was hurt, he was not in danger anymore. It's all right, Glink. It's all right. Hearing his master's mind voice calmed the mudcat, and he quieted. Before stepping back from the intimate mind-to-mind contact, Gaewan answered Glink's query about Paul's door. He was used to levered latches, not spherical, shiny knobs. Knowing his wardmate's cleverness in getting through such doors, Glink would jump up and allow his weight and momentum to open levered doors that weren't too heavy or sticky on their hinges. Gaewan afforded another instant of attention and pictured how his paws could grip and shift the knob if the room were unlocked. Otherwise, he gave Glink instruction to stay where he was that he would come for him soon. You're shot, Gaewan. Are you all right? No. Gaewan shifted back to his immediate surroundings, his thoughts flashing quick as he searched the room for any clue to where she might be hiding. He would have just raised his vision by using his cloak, but he feared falling unconscious. Locating an invisible man who is out cold is very difficult, let alone administering aid to one. Is that pentagram part of what is normally studied at this school? Despite what Paul had said, it was clear that there were dark, powerful magics lurking in this world, if they could make weapons that wrought what Marie's had. No, it's probably what the professor was using as a focal point for his black magic. Art was pleased his knowledge of such things came into use, he hoped. It has nothing to do with medical science, unless Da Vinci was here teaching proportions. Black magic, the forbidden arts. Though Art and Bill stood there all agog holding Paul, it was obvious to Gaewan that this woman had merely hidden herself with invisibility and was probably now lurking around them, waiting for an opening through which to grab Paul. He didn't have much time or the strength to chase her and magically fight her. Also, she still had that frightening weapon. Thus, he decided on a desperate last resort. Leaning wearily on the table's edge, he pulled out the crystal of Apaya and held it forth. Close your eyes. In the next instant, he channeled power into the artifact. Blazing white light issued from the stone, filling the room. And then the white fire was gone. Holding on to a confused Paul, Art and Bill opened their eyes to see Gaewan sprawled on the floor, unconscious, and an unfamiliar young blonde woman huddled on the floor next to the chalkboard. Traversity, Demons and Demigods. Sound plays of the second novel were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2023. Gratitude extended to our first benefactor and angel, Juanita Paz Chalacha. Character voices for Episode 6 are performed by Matthew Zachariah Tunai, Geraldine Cummings, Kevin Norris, Arthur William Bloxham Jr., Puffin Muffin, and H. the Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com. On Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly from the author. Merely submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Boca Music, High Street Music of London, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. 
sound effects, and original foley provided by freesound.org, mix kit of Victoria, Australia, Cusp Studios, and the BBC Library. This was recorded on location in the universe.